Let's go to the text uh, in 1 Thessalonians, uh, chapter number 2, and we're going to begin our reading at verse number 1. 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 2. Who's the writer of this text, guys? Oh, y'all didn't say it loud enough. Like, who's the writer of this letter here? The Apostle Paul is, guys. And, and, and he writes this letter to the saints at Thessalonica. And I shared with you before getting to the second chapter that there were many who were questioning Paul's apostolic authority. There were many who were questioning the genuineness of his ministry. There were many who were accusing him of doing all kinds of dastardly things, preaching for money, you know, have, having all kinds of, of, of impure motives. So Paul, as he writes in this chapter in particular, begins to address some of those rumors. Because how many of y'all know rumors can get started? Don't have to be half true. But what we'll do sometimes, we're not careful as Christians, we'll catch a rumor and we'll run with it. Yeah, listen, be careful for somebody who's always telling you about a child, have you heard? Because see, uh, you know, I think as a believer, we ought to focus on things that are true, that are just, that are honest, of good report. And, and don't, don't, don't be eager to talk about something, even if it's true. Why do we want to spread bad news? Why do we want to spread the news about somebody who's had an incident or issue uh, that, um, that's, that, that causes them not to be what they need to be in God? Let's pray for people and try to lift people. I'm not saying you don't address issues, but it's different to address an issue than just be simply the gospel on the phone. All right. Can I get a witness? All right. So 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 Paul here is writing here because they had attacked his 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 testimony. They had attacked the validity of his ministry and they were sitting here telling people that Paul is not genuine. So I asked the question for all of us in here, are we the real deal? Because when we think about what our role is as Christians here on earth, what our assignment is, we have to be very careful that we don't just do church and go and move with tradition and do things the way we've always done it and not really hone in on what it means to be a follower of Christ and one who is genuinely pursuing God's will and his word for your life. So Paul here writes, let's read together in verse number one. He says, you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. He says in verse two, let's read. He says, you know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. I shared that on last week in Acts 17 chapter. How it was they came out to Paul and they left and they, when Paul came to Thessalonica, they sent people there to try to trump up some charges against him in Thessalonica. Uh, it's one thing when somebody messes with you in, in their own town, but they follow you, follow you to the next town to try to mess up your ministry. Uh, the devil don't care where you are. He'll come after you. He don't care how long you've been doing it. I told you all before and I'll say it again. If the enemy takes 15 years to set you up, to knock you down, he'll be patient enough to, 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 to wait and just set you up for 15 years to knock you down. Don't ever minimize the, the power of the enemy, but don't ever give him more credit than what he deserves because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Can I get a witness? So the God in you is greater than the enemy that's out there. Quit letting the enemy talk to you and tell you how bad things are going to be and what you can't do and what you can't accomplish. We can do all things through Christ who does what? Strengthens us. Text says, you know how badly we've been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. Text says in the next verse says what? So you can 
See, we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. Verse four, let's read. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to what? Can we, can we read that sentence together? I mean, I want us to read it loud, on purpose, and with, it, with intentionality. Notice what Paul says. He says what? Our purpose is to what? Please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Now, guys, we begin to, if you look at your, your, uh, your sermon notes in the outline, we talked about authentic community, and I share it with you in order to experience authentic community, you got to make time for it. We said you got to contribute to it, and you got to take a genuine interest in the lives of others if we're going to have and possess authentic community. We saw that in the book of Acts where the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to breaking the bread together. They devoted themselves to prayers. They were devoted to these things. So we got to, if we're really going to have the type of impact that God designs for us to have, we got to devote ourselves. Now, I will tell you, hear me carefully, coming here and sitting and listening to me for 55 minutes on Sunday morning, that don't really take a whole lot of devotion. I appreciate you. I love you for being a part of our uh, 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 family of faith here. But I'm, I got news for you. God is requiring more of us. Whew. Help me, Holy Ghost. What kind of spirit in this place today? I said God is requiring more of us. See, to develop authentic community in order to encourage each other, in order to be a light for each other, uh, God, God desires for us and he requires us to do more than come and sit on Sunday. Are y'all with me? He requires more of that. He wants us to develop authentic community where we can connect with one another and encourage one another and inspire each other to do the work of ministry. Are you with me today? So you got to make time for it. Everybody say make time for it. I know you like, many of y'all like me, we're talking about how busy you are. Quit talking about how busy you are and say, yo, God, I'm going to make time for the things that are important to you. Because I told you before, we find time to do what we want to do. Are y'all listening to me? We as adult human beings, we find time to do what we want to do. And if it's important to you, you make time for it. You contribute to it. And you take a genuine interest in the lives of others. Now, uh, we, we, we left off and we talked about the fact that uh, if we're going with the characteristics of a true church, what are the characteristics of a true church? We said, number one, it's one that, that's based off of biblical authority. The basis of Paul's message was God-given. The biblical authority is a two-way street. It's the pulpit, the pulpit ministry must be based on biblical authority and its members' lives must be bound by biblical authority. Let me say it again. The pulpit ministry must be based on biblical authority and its members' lives must be bound by biblical authority. To be bound by something means that it, it, the boundaries of your life uh, are erected by what you hear in the word of God. And there are certain things you won't go outside that boundary because the word of God says don't go outside that boundary. Okay? So the members' lives must be bound by biblical authority. Have you ever been a part of a ministry? Or maybe you were part of a ministry when you were going to the church but really the things that were being taught didn't affect you in everyday life. Can we be honest? Is it a little warm here, y'all? Okay. Somebody help me with that air, okay? All right. 
I, I wasn't going to say anything, but I'm sweating, okay? <laughs> All right, now, now watch this, guys. Listen, if you come to be a part of a ministry, but, but what is being taught does not affect what you do on a day-to-day basis, then why do you even come? I mean, if, if, if I'm going to come to a place and listen to teaching and have no, no, I have no desire or no impetus to do what's being taught, I would just stay at home. That's what I would do. Unless I'm just trying to fool everybody else. And really, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks because God sits high and looks low. He's the one that's watching our lives. Can I get a witness? So, so to come to church, to hear preach word, uh, to go to marriage seminars and never do anything is being taught at the marriage seminar, you're just wasting your money. I love you. I, I, I love for you to come, but if you're not going to do the stuff, you really could just, you know, I told you on last week, you really almost, it's almost better to not know it than to know it and not do it. Amen. So God's going to hold us responsible for what we're taught. All right. So, so we got biblical authority. Let's go to this next point here. Okay. Uh, the, the, the next point I want you to, to hone in on is, is number two, we talk about biblical authenticity. Uh, and I, I gave you the definition of what, what, what authentic means uh, when we first started this, this section on, are we the real deal? The meaning of authentic, we talk about being what one claims to be and being what one ought to be. Let's look down at verses five and six. Being what one claims to be and being what one ought to be. Ought to be. Look at what Paul says here in verses five and six of First Thessalonians uh, chapter number two. Text says this. Never once did we try to win you with flattery. Now can somebody tell me right here, what is flattery? What is flattery? I need to answer Somebody shout it real loud. What is flattery? Building somebody up, giving them flowery words. Oh, you're so great. Oh, you're so wonderful. Man, I tell you what, if I could do what you did, I, I would be doing all right. You are the best teacher. You are the best this. You are the, you're the most uh, giving person. Just kind of giving people their, the flowers. They say, why they can smell them. Flattery, that means you flatter. Y'all know what it means to flatter somebody. How many of y'all ever dated a woman and, and gave her flattery? Jerry, you never flattered Beverly. I know you did. Scott, you never flattered Lauren. I know you did. Come on. Rod, you in the back. You ever flattered Tony? I know you have. See, we know what it means to flatter somebody. But Paul, notice what Paul says. Paul says, never once in his apostolic role did we try to win you with flattery. As you well know, he says. And God is not our, and God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get what? Your money. Paul says, now, I, my, my role as an apostle is, is, is not to, to do this just so you can bless my ministry with your resources. Although it was proper and biblical to, for them to bless those who were spe- feeding them spiritually. But Paul says, that listen, you know that, that, that we will not pretend to be your friends just to get your money. Because some folks, if you're really honest about it, some people are hanging around you for what they can get out of you. Do y'all have any those kind of friends? You only see them when they need something. They only call you when they need something. And you see this call out, oh Lord, there go Gracie again. What does she want now? Oh God, there's Tim. You know he must want something. 
And what they'll do is when they call you, they pretend like they want to just call and check on you. And they talk for a little while. And then you, you sitting there waiting for the truth shoe to drop, right? You sitting there waiting. Okay, now when, when is the ass going to come? Like, guys, I, I, I will tell you that as believers, we are to, to help and to bless people. But we also got to use wisdom in how we help. Because sometimes helping people can be hurting them when you're not ministering to them while you're helping them. Jesus, every time he ministered or helped someone, he ministered to them also. And so I want to help you, but I also want to minister to you while I'm helping you so that I can teach you how to fish and feed you for a lifetime. Rather than just giving you a fish every time you come and ask me for one. All right? So he says this, never once did we try to win you with flattery, as, as you well know, and God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. He says this, go to the next verse. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. Now, I need you to think about this for a second. All right? Because some of y'all are sitting there, if y'all have ever read the book by Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages, some of y'all love languages affirmation. In other words, you need people to affirm you. You need to hear, hey, you did a great job. Hey, nothing wrong with that. But again, you have to be careful because if you do ministry with the idea that I'm going to get discouraged and not do ministry, if I don't hear that flattery coming, if you didn't call my name, if, if, if nobody said thank you, will you still do the work of ministry? He says here, as for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. I'll tell you, I'm like the Apostle Paul. Thank God when people encourage you. And the Bible says, let another man's lip praise you and not your own. That's good when it happens. But I don't do ministry looking for praise from people. Okay? So, uh, you know, I don't preach a sermon and look, wait at the altar. Okay, who's going to come and tell me that was a good message? Oh, nobody came and told me it was a good message? Oh, Lord. I must not be doing what you told me to do. No, no, no. It's not about, it's not about getting the accolation from men. It's about being obedient to what God has told us to do in his word, okay? He said, as for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. Authenticity operates in three realms. The pulpit, the corporate life of the church, and the lives of individual members. Let's look at that again. Authenticity Genuineness operates in three realms. The pulpit, we got to have authenticity from the pulpit. And I promise you guys, I'm going to share with you what the word of God says. You that have been around here for any prolonged period of time, understand that we're going to walk through the scripture. And if I say something that, 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 that you don't understand, let's ask questions. If I say something that hits your wheelhouse... It is not because I'm picking on you. It's because it's in the word of God. And if you come here for long enough, I should be as your pastor speaking to something that's going on in your life. If the Holy Spirit is talking to me, I don't have to know about it to teach about it. I mean, in your individual situation, because the Holy Ghost knows exactly where you are. Have you? Can I speak for me? Different times when I was growing up, I would go to church service when I was in school over at Tech and whatever. And I would go there and it, I could have sworn. I could have sworn that someone told the preacher what I did that week. Am I the only one that's been there? I could have sworn that one of my friends or somebody else. Okay, okay. Uh, somebody told him. 
And they, and they preach about what I was dealing with. And that happens because, guys, if you're in the word of God, the Holy Spirit knows where all of us are. Isn't it amazing how you can come to church and the message can hit you one way, hit somebody else another way? All right? Don't ever make the mistake of coming to church and listening to the word being preached and you, you trying to figure out how it's affecting your wife or your husband or your children or that deacon over there. Or this person back there, mm-hmm, that, yeah, he needs to hear that. Yeah, he needs to hear that. Ooh, good. Stay on it, Pastor. You can tell. Stay on it, Pastor. <laughs> Preach it, Rev. You can tell those of you, the folks, that what you're talking about is not hitting them. It's hitting somebody who they want to, they really want to tell them that, but they don't have the courage to tell them that. They won't go to them like Scripture teaches us, so they want the pastor to de- deal with them for them. They want, you want me to straighten your wife out, straighten your husband. I can't straighten them out, but I can preach to them. And I can share the word of God. And if you will do what is being taught, I promise you, I promise you the word of God works. I've seen it work in my marriage. I've seen it work in my household. I've seen it work in this church. But we got to be willing to be authentic when it comes to the things of God. And it starts from the pulpit. I don't, you know, listen, I am not a minister who uh, is going to shy away from sharing what God's word is. I'm going to speak the truth in love. Okay, and I I, I don't want to get I don't want to ever be guilty of getting up here um, uh, trying to throw out at anybody. Okay, I want to preach truth in love. Now, preaching the truth in love don't mean it's going to sound the way you want to sound all the time. Because how many of y'all know your mom and your dad had to get on you sometimes about some stuff that you were doing when you were growing up, and and at the time that they had to fuss at you a little bit. Anybody ever got fussed at a little bit? That that does not mean they don't love you. It means they care enough about you to confront. Tyrone, you do a lot of coaching. Uh, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. But tell me this, and I said this, I said this for a number of years. Whenever you find a coach who stops coaching you hard or stops telling you and getting on you about stuff, that usually means that that coach, coach thinks you don't have the capacity to do it or that coach is giving up on you being able to follow that, that lead. A good coach is going to keep getting on you when they know that there's something in you that's potential in you, right? But the moment that person stops sharing with you, that probably means, as a coach, that means they don't think you have the capacity to do what they're asking you to do or they've given up on you. So as your pastor, guys, I'm not going to ever give up on anybody in here. Are y'all with me? I'm going to keep preaching the truth to you. So, so we got to have authenticity from the pulpit in the corporate life of this church. We want to be known as a church that's doing the will of God. And we're going to, it needs to be authenticity in the individual lives of the members. You are a member here of this church. How real are you? Are you the real deal at home? Are you the real deal at work? If I were to go and poll your coworkers, what would they tell me about you? Your attitude, your work ethic. Your disposition at work. Because some people think that the gospel don't apply to work, but it does. Or yes, it does. Because I am one who believes that your workplace is your mission field. And God has placed you there to be a light in the midst of the situation. He allows you to develop a relationship with people so that you can take your testimony, amen, to them and share with them what God has said. So, Biblical authenticity. The third thing we, we look at if, if we examine the, what a true church looks like, the characteristics of a true church, the characteristics of a true believer, the characteristics of a true apostle. Uh, 
biblical attitude. Everybody say attitude. Go to verses 7 through 11. Paul begins to talk about the biblical attitude. We've got to have an attitude of graciousness, guys. Uh, and he gives it, and that's illustrated by the image of a nurse with a child, uh, also illustrated by a father with his children. Let's go to the right. He says, as apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you. And it is right. And the Bible is very clear that if someone is spe- feeding you spiritual food, then they have a right and you should support them with material food or material substance. Okay. Uh, you can go over in first Corinthians. Paul talks about that in the ninth chapter of first Corinthians. We have time to go today, but he's, when he said as apostle of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you or were we like a mother feeding and caring for her own children? Keep reading verse eight. Let's go. It says we love you so much that we share with you. Not only God's good news, but listen here, guys, we shared our own lives. And that's what we've been talking about with authentic community. Many of you sitting there have not really ever engaged really in authentic community. And now we're learning what that looks like, what that feels like. And I pray that, that, that each one of you all glean the, the benefits of, of doing life together in authentic, genuine community together. Because Here's where most of us were. I mean, we, we would come to church and again, we would see each other at church and they would go home and come back next week and see each other at church. How many grew up like that? Come on. We would see each other at church, but we never really did life together. In Acts 2, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to doctrine, to fellowship, to breaking the bread together, to praying together. And many, many times that occurred outside the temple, okay? As a matter of fact, really, a lot of times, the early church met in each other's homes to, to, to encourage one another, to pray, to, to talk about what the apostles' doctrine was, okay? So, so we love you so much that we share with you not only God's good news, but our own lives. How many of y'all are willing to share your life with a fellow Christian? Well, Pastor, you know, I, I, you know I, I, I hear what you're saying, Pastor, but you know, I've been hurt before. Let me show, by show of hands, how many of y'all, since you've been saved, have been hurt or disappointed by another believer. Okay. All right. All right. So most hands went up. So guys, let me tell you something. Because we are all infallible, everybody won't do uh, what you expect them to do. But when we learn how to love, love means that I, as a matter of fact, the Bible talks about us making allowances for each other's faults. I promise you, it is better to love and to have someone disappoint you than to never love at all. Because love is, is what God tells us to do. Remember what the greatest commandment was? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all the heart, mind, and soul. And the second commandment is like unto it. Thou shalt what? Love thy neighbor as yourself. So guys, we really don't have a choice. Love is a command. But you think you got a choice. And you're okay with God. Listen, uh-uh. he says it's like unto the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we have a responsibility to do that. And part of authentic community means that, that when I engage and do life together with you, there are going to be some times when somebody may, uh, you know, uh, may disappoint you. But that's okay. Listen, learn how to love with the love of God and learn how to forgive people. That's why forgiveness is so critically important in the body of Christ. So that when, when somebody does disappoint us, we're not still hanging on to that 15 years later. Can I get a witness? So, so we got to have the biblical attitude. Let's keep moving. 
Next verse says what? Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you. Paul knew, coming from Philippi, that there were people that were, that were spreading rumors about him. So Paul chose to, even though he had a right to, he chose not to receive financial support from this church so that he could have the freedom to preach the good news. Watch this. Night and day we taught to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you. 10 and 11. Let's read together. It says what? You yourselves are witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. Next verse, read it. It says what? And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. So the biblical pattern of graciousness is very clear. It deals with the manner or how we do a thing. The, the biblical pattern of graciousness is very clear. It deals with the manner or how we do ministry. It's not a, the fact that we just do a ministry, but how we do a thing is very important. God is concerned about our motive and how we do ministry. Do you give God your very best? Are you really honest with God? Are you really honest with God's people that you're doing life together with? Giving God our best it's very important because God knows when we're giving them half speed. How many of y'all have been through conditioning, workouts, whatever, and, 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 and you were going half speed trying to conserve your energy? Listen, baby, let me tell you something. On this journey of faith, let's, listen, we only have a certain a number of years on this earth. And I, I wish I could, well, no, I really don't wish I could tell you because, uh, you know, that, that would probably be, maybe a little disheartening to you to know when your day going to come. But you ought to live like your day going to come right now. I'll tell you something, guys. For the last five weeks, and next week it's going to make six weeks, for the last, for, the, the, for six weeks straight on a Saturday, I've been attending funerals. That's six weeks straight. I've been attending a funeral. What I'm, people are leaving here. And so, Make the, the Bible, the KJV says redeem the time. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't waste time, guys. Let's, let's, let's use our time wisely and let God use us to minister and to share with people. The love of God has to be shared abroad by the Holy Ghost moving on the inside of us. Let's be a witness for the Lord here in the earth realm. Will y'all agree? How many of y'all are willing to do that? How many of y'all are willing to say, God, I'm going to love with your kind of love, that agape love, even when I don't feel it? Because obedience really don't have anything to do with how we feel. Obedience has everything to do with whether or not we respect God enough to do his word when we don't even feel like doing his word. Amen? So, so, so it, it deals with, uh, with, with uh, the manner, how we, how we do Thing. Christ was not harsh with his disciples, although he did and still does confront them when necessary. See, when we're doing life together, we, we all we have a, a gentle spirit. And when it's time to address something, let's address it. We, we talked to you and we dealt with how to have a crucial conversation. We talked about how to have emotionally healthy relationship. We talked about how we address issues in the church. Remember what Jesus said? Uh, go there right quick, and this is a side, but I'll go to Matthew, the 18th chapter, verse number 15. 
And let's look at it right quick. Matthew, the 18th chapter and verse number 15. Let's go there right quick. Are y'all still with me today? Are we the real deal? Paul's apostleship was being challenged. And guys, I'm here to tell you today, many in the outside world are challenging the validity of what our ministry work is all about. Because when they look at the church and they see division, they see heartache, they see uh, prejudice, they see racism, they see uh, sexism, they see all kind of stuff happening in the church, they begin to question the validity of our message. But what I'm telling you is that each one of you all in here have a responsibility. Everyone in here has a responsibility to carry the message. Because what will happen is, guys, we'll make the mistake of thinking that because we come here and we sing, we dance, uh, we work cameras, uh, we, 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 work, we teach this class, we do that, that we're okay with God and, and that our life is, is good. It doesn't matter what we do at home, doesn't matter what we do at work, doesn't matter what we do in the grocery store. Guys, let me tell you, let me tell you, it does matter. Because the only God that many people are going to see is the God that you say you got on the inside of you. Are you the real deal? People who are the real deal make a conscious effort and decision to say, God, I want to obey your word. And, and even if it kills my flesh, I'm going to kill my flesh. And you, you ought to kill your flesh anyhow because Paul said that I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ lives in me. Look at what the text says right here. Now, any of y'all here got an alt with somebody, in, a fellow believer, even if it's not a fellow believer, go, go and talk to somebody, who you, your coworker, whatever. Here, Jesus gives us a pattern for how we deal with it. If, if another believer sins against you, go what? Go what? Didn't say go to Facebook. Go to Twitter. Instagram. TikTok. Whatever. No, it says what? If another believer sins against you, what do you what, what what's our responsibility? Do what? Go how? Privately and point out the offense. What do most Christians do? They go and start talking about the offense to everybody else. Look at me. Have you ever been guilty of talking about the offense? You offended, and sometimes the person who you offended with has no clue you offended with them. Unless you start mean mugging them at church like some of y'all do. <laughs> Jesus said, go private and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses, you have won that person back. Next verse, let's read. This is Bible, guys. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again. So that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. In other words, that person sins against you. And now you're going back and say, here's, here's where, where you were wrong uh, uh, and, and it offended me. Here's what the Bible says. And then now you got Joe and Susie with you too. And they, they biblical, they, they're biblical. They're not coming just to, just to hold up your end of the bargain. They're not coming just to, just to be on your side. They're coming to be a, a person who's, who's seasoned a person who's willing to say, I'm going to stand for truth. And so it says, so, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. The Bible says in the KJV, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Look at the next verse. Come on, let's go. So if, if the person still refuses to listen, what's the, what's the protocol? Take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision. Treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Treat that person 
uh, from the standpoint of you disfellowshipping them from your assembly until they get it right. That's Bible. And it, it amazes me how people can conveniently pick up one part of the Bible that, that, they, that they're okay with, and then the other part of the Bible that, that they're not okay with for the situation, then they, they disregard it. I was reading an article just the other day about this pretty prominent folks who were part of a, 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 a national denomination, and one pastor is suing another pastor because, not pastor, another, another minister, because something uh, came out, and now they're suing each other about a church matter. Now, the Bible says this, this wasn't a business matter. This was a church matter. And, and the scripture tells us, and I don't have time to go there right now, but in Corinthians, about, about the fact that, that we shouldn't be taking church matters to court. But how many times have you saw where churches are in court trying to decide about who's going to keep the building and whether or not somebody's going to stay as pastor? You can't pastor somebody who don't want to be pastor. And so Christians, whenever you take a church matter to court, that means you said that God, your word is not sufficient for us to, to, to solve this issue. And so we're going to go to the unjust judge or we're going to go to the secular judge. Guys, let's let the word of God abide and let it be the, the governing force for our life. Let's bind our lives by the word, okay? So let's get back here, okay? So we look at this. So uh, Christ was not harsh with disciples, although he did and still does confront them when necessary. Um, Failure to follow this pattern is a major problem in many churches today. Uh, all church operations should be conditioned by a biblical attitude. Everybody say Bible attitude. Your attitude will determine uh, where, how effective you are, I believe, in doing God's word and being an effective witness here in the earth realm. So check your attitude. Whenever you come to do work of ministry, whenever you're involved in doing anything, make sure that you're doing it for his glory first. And if you keep that as your focus, it'll help you to not get sideways. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about him. Can I get a witness? So biblical attitude. Let's look at the next one. Our biblical approach. Go to the 12th verse. Because sometimes, guys, we allow, we allow all kinds of stuff to get us off of doing God, things God's way. One of the things that, that, that would prevent us a lot of times from or stifle us from, from, from moving with God is, is we allow our traditions to make the word of God of none effect. And I'm going to look at that past scripture just, just in just a second. Look at what Paul says in verse number 12. Y'all there with me? Let's read together. Come on, let's go. It says what? We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider what? Worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and in his what? Glory. I told you when we start the series on God's plan for his church that, that we have been called to operate under kingdom principle. God's kingdom uh, is different than, than our American society and economy. The kingdom principles are, 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 are bound by the Holy Scripture. They're bound by God's will and his word. So we got to learn how to be kingdom disciples operating under kingdom principles. Now, now go with me to, uh, to Mark 7 chapter right quick and look at verse number 1. Let's go to Mark chapter 7 and look at verse number 1. Because sometimes our traditions hang us up from being obedient to God's word. Tradition can be a strong thing. 
Would y'all agree? Stuff that you've been used to doing that's been embedded in you sometimes will prevent you from doing God's will. Watch what the text says here. One day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Keep reading. He says what? Uh, they noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. Now, guys, this was not a, uh, a, a hygiene issue. This was a ceremonial issue. Something they were accustomed to doing. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. Keep reading. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. All right, watch this, guys. They, 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 they give it to make a big deal out of something because they were violating the tradition. Next verse, what? similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Next verse, let's read. So the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law asked them, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Now, guys, we may not do a hand-washing ceremony, but I think all of us probably got some things that we grew up with that we accustomed to doing when it came to church or following God that, that may not necessarily be scripture or maybe something that God allowed then, but he says you have the freedom not to do it now. Take, for instance, there were certain dietary restrictions in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant that were no longer valid in the New Covenant. But you're still holding on to those dietary restrictions because you begin to trust in that rather than trust in the one who's your deliverer. See, God, in your own life, guys, you got to be very careful because sometimes we'll start to trust the thing that God gave us rather than trust the God who gave us the thing. Does that make sense? We'll start trusting the format rather than trusting the God who allowed us to have the format. Watch this. So Pharisees and teachers of the law ask them, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Next verse. Let's go. Jesus replied, you hypocrite. Now, listen. Jesus talked strong when he had to talk strong. Notice what he says. He says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote these People honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There are people sitting in services and in churches, uh, uh, and, and, and they'll say the right things, but their hearts are not close to God. Watch what the text says in verse number eight, verse number seven, I'm sorry. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Now, again, let, let, let's... We, we, we don't deal with the ceremonial hand washing, but there, there are many churches still today that, that, that have a problem with a woman wearing pants to church. Did y'all know that? How many of y'all know some churches right now you, couldn't step up, you could not step up in there with pants on? There's some that are still out there. And, and, and again, think about that for a second. What, what many are saying with that message is that you are not right with God because woman, you wear pants. That may sound foreign to some of y'all, but I'm here to tell you, those of us that grew up in that know about that, right? And again, people were sincere in their heart, but they did not properly discern the word of God. And now that we know better, we still, even if, I tell you before, if we go to a church that that's their conviction, we're not going to go up in there and, and try to 
embarrass or shame anybody. We'll go up there and all the ladies who go with us will wear what? Dresses. Because to them, that's wrong, even though we know it's not wrong. Can I get a witness? All right. But that's one of the traditions that some churches have. Okay. Uh, they, they, worshipers are false for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Next verse. Let's go. Come on, guys. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Keep reading, guys. We ignore When you ignore God's law, when you ignore what the word says, but allow your tradition to override the word, then we have made our tradition out of God. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. Watch what he says here. Look at it. For instance, he gives them an example. Moses gave you this law from God. Since you say you, you, you want to follow God's law, he says, honor your father and mother and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and mother must be put to death. That's what Moses' law, the law said. But you say, it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you for I have vowed to give... For I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. This is something that's called a Corbain vow, where they would make a vow to, to give certain things to God. And they were doing it to keep from honoring their fathers and their mothers by helping them when they were in an older age. So they, they, they tried to use the word uh, to keep from doing the word. Are y'all with me today? It says, for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. Next verse says what? Let's read. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. These religious leaders were saying, because again, remember, when these folks did this, they were giving what they should have been blessing their parents with. They were giving it to these Pharisees in the temple. And so they allowed it to happen. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many, among many others. So guys, when we allow tradition to stop us from doing the word of God, then we, we, we find ourselves in a, in, a, in, a, in a predicament where we're not going to be able to do God's will. Take, for instance, the study we just did uh, on building a, oh, we still doing, I'm, I'm trying to wrap it up, on building a multi-ethnic church. Why would you allow history to override word? Why would you say, okay, historically, this is where it's been. So I, because of our history, then even though you're teaching me, Pastor, my history says that I'm going to ignore what the Word of God says and we're going to hold on to history. We're going to hold on to Baptist tradition, even though we know the Word of God says something different. I told you on last week, we talked about praising in the temple and the dance. Many of you grew up that they would have ran you out of the church if you danced in that church. But what, what did Psalms 150 say? We read it all the time. Praise him in the temple and what? But what do we do with that? How, 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 do we, how, what, how do we explain that away? Here's how we explain away. Well, we don't do that here at our church. I just told you it is not our church. It is his church. And we got to start doing the word of God and being his church. Don't allow tradition, don't allow cultural nuances to stop you from doing the word of God. And that's what was happening here when Jesus began to teach here these Pharisees. Keep reading. I got I to move, y'all. Come on, let's go. Let's go. So then Jesus called to the crowd to come in here. He said, all of you listen and try to understand. Next verse, let's read. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your, what comes from your what? 
from your heart. There are people who will argue you down about your diet. Now, listen, come on. I'm talking about from a, from a spiritual standpoint, saying that it's wrong to eat certain type foods. But, but what he said, what, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. It's what comes out of your heart. Look, look what's in the heart. Let's read. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciple asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either? Jesus said, now y'all, y'all walking with me. Y'all been hearing me teaching, but you don't even understand. He says, he says, can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Next verse is what? Let's go. Food doesn't go into your food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the what? Sewer, thank God. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. Next verse. Says what? And then he added, it's what comes from the inside that defiles. It's what's in your heart. That's what defiles you. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? It's what's in your heart that defiles you. Look, look, look what he says in 24 from within. What's, what comes out of our heart? Out of a person's heart comes what? Evil thoughts. What else? Sexual immorality. Back up. Come on. Back, let's back up, back up, back up. Watch this. What comes out of our hearts? Evil thoughts. What else? What did I tell you about following your heart? Just follow your heart, baby. No, you don't. Don't do that. Because in your heart, what's, what's in your heart? Come on. Evil thoughts. You follow your heart, but evil thoughts in your heart. What else? Sexual immorality is where? I don't know how that happened. It happened because it was in your heart. Yeah, we plead ignorance, don't we? I'm just telling you what Jesus said. Jesus says what? What comes out? Evil thoughts? Well, that wasn't really in my heart, Pastor. Yes, it was. Evil thoughts? Sexual immorality? Y'all know what sexual immorality is. That's sex outside of the boundaries which Christ created, God created in his word. And God gives us instruction. Sex outside of marriage. I know that's not kosher to say nowadays. Oh, pastor, you, you, you old folk, you, 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 just, you just don't understand. Sex outside of marriage is sexual immorality. Same sex, sex is immorality. It's outside of God's will. Bestiality is outside of God's will. And don't think that it don't happen because somebody just got arrested for that not too long ago here in Bozo Parish. I don't understand it, but it happened. Sin is perversion, okay? So evil thoughts, sexual murder, theft, murder. Let's go, come on. This is what comes out of the heart. Adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Where is it? In the heart. Verse 23, let's close it out. All these vile things come from within. That's what defiles you, not, 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 what, not skipping the ceremonial washing of hands. And people will make big deals out of tradition, and it had nothing to do with your heart. People make big deals on how long, or uh, if you cut your hair, ladies. 
Some faith traditions say, don't cut your hair. You're out of the will of God. That's a, if that's their conviction, that's their conviction. But don't be bound by that because that's not, that, that, that ain't got nothing to do with what's in your heart. Amen. Are y'all still with me? All right, just want, trying to help somebody. All right, so let's get back. All right, so, so the biblical approach, let's, let's get to the, next, the biblical approach. A basic relevance, life related. The Bible is relevant. The Bible speaks to life issues. That's why I like to talk through the word of God. Let's get back to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse number 12. Biblical approach. Are you still tracking with me? Biblical approach. Paul says, we pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. God called us to share this kingdom. That, that means that's, that's not just talking about when we get to heaven. Most of us came up with a theological construct of just live our life. Let's just get to heaven. We'll walk around the kingdom all day. And guys, thank God for that time. But guess what? The kingdom of God is not just in the here and the after. It is on earth now. God calls us to live in the kingdom, spiritual kingdom. In other words, what God gives us, the things he tells us to how to live our lives, that helps us to operate under kingdom principles. And, a, and part of the kingdom principles is what we should be, the kingdom principles is how we should be operating in our everyday lives. But guys, we can't just wait to get to heaven. Because God wants to use us down here on earth to reach others. And he can't use us down here on earth to reach heaven if all we're doing is coming to church waiting to go to heaven. When I get to heaven, I'm going to sing and shout. There'll be nobody there to put me out. Nobody will try to put you out. If you're saved, you're going to be there. Nobody can put you out. But, but our, our concept of, of, of God has always been, let's just wait till we get to heaven. And God is saying, I need you down here on earth operating on the kingdom principle. Jesus said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth. As it is in heaven, but most of us have been waiting to get to heaven. And God says, I need you, I need you to operate in kingdom principle down here on earth so that we can reach others. Amen? Lastly, look, look what it says. Biblical activity. Go to the 13th verse. Watch this. Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you receive, listen, listen to this. We never stop thanking God that when you receive his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. So guys, we got a pattern that's laid out for us in Acts 2. We're going to close out with Acts 2. But notice what, notice what Paul says here. We never stop thanking God that when you receive his message from us, you didn't think about words as mere human ideas. How many of y'all, when you come to a Bible study, small group study, or come to church on Sunday morning, you listen to what is being said, but you receive it not as the mere words of Doyle Adams, but as it is a word that's coming from God. The Thessalonican believers received the word, not as it was just the mere words of men, but 
or just human ideas. They accepted what Paul said as the very word of God. How many of y'all, how many of y'all really, 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 let me go, I'm finished. How many of y'all really, 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 I mean really, really, really down in your soul, really? How many of y'all really, 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 really take the Bible as God's word? Because that's the very core, because at some point in time, guys, we got to decide either I believe this to be the word of God or I don't. And the only thing I'm telling you is, is that if, if, if you don't receive the Bible as God's word, then you won't be able to be the real deal. Because what you're going to do is you're going to pick and choose what you decide you want to do. That's why I always try to show you in the scripture. So, Brenda, it's not me just talking about a good idea. I want to talk about a God idea, what God's word says. So you got to decide. I can't decide that for you. Is this God's word? And if it is, that's how God talks to me through his word. So when I see it in his word, I got to make a conscious decision whether I'm going to be obedient or I'm going to do my life, do life my way. And the reality is, guys, why I'm asking this question, are you the real deal? Many of y'all sitting here have chosen to do life your way. You've chosen what's comfortable for you, what's convenient for you. And ministry is not all about convenience. Well, if you're not doing anything, come out and help us. No, if you're not doing anything, listen to how we couch some things. If, you, if, you're not, if you're not too busy, well, if God's word says it, then I'll arrange my life to have balance. I, I, I'm one who preach, preaches about it. We ought to have that Sabbath rest. We got to have balance, right? So that you don't wear yourself out and no good to anybody. But what I'm talking about is people who know what God's word says, see it preached Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, but never make the decision to follow it. Are you the real deal? That's what I'm asking. Because if you don't make that decision to follow and be obedient to the word of God, being due to the word, not hear his own, deceiving your own self, then maybe you don't really understand what it means to be a born-again believer. Because God and his word are one and the same. Listen, I love every last one of y'all. I promise you. And I'm pulling for everybody in here because God wants to use you to advance kingdom principles. But ask yourself the question, am I really the real deal? Am, am, I really, am I really hungering and thirsting after righteousness or so that I maybe feel, or am I just kind of laissez-faire when it comes to the things of God? And only you, you know that. And, and eventually if you're laissez-faire about the things of God, it'll show up in your actions. But you know you better than anybody else. In Acts 2, and I'm closing, they devoted themselves so how devoted are you? Every head bowed if I close.